Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, Blog Talk listeners. This is Tom Hayes in Beantown, Massachusetts, USA, Boston. Gorgeous, gorgeous day. I'm with my co-host, Rebecca Tripp. Rebecca, how are you this morning? I'm doing absolutely fantastic this morning. Hi yes, there. you are. And uh, thank you for bringing in uh, our guest today, Mark Collins. And I'll just give a brief intro here. Mark is a healer, teacher, writer on, quant- writer on quantum love. What is quantum love? It is the realization that our consciousness is connected to higher realms, non-physical planes of higher and more positive vibration, and that we can bring those positive vibrations, that love into the world, with focused intent through the sacred space of the heart, what I call the heart space portal. That's a quote from Mark himself. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming in. Tom and Rebecca, thank you both for having me on. It's It's an honor and a privilege. Well, great. Well, one of the first things we like to do, it's great to hear teachings and uh, philosophy and spirituality, but nothing gets more interesting than the guest story. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got here? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, when I was young, you know, my mom in the 1960s and 70s started, she was, you know, in the Christian world, and then she started reading about things like Edgar Casey, and then she started reading the mystic Tibetan masters, and, and she was kind of like my mentor, my spiritual mentor, and then uh, she got into the eastern paths, you know, uh, Ekankar was a, uh, a path in the 70s and 80s that became popular, uh, and, and, you know, for me, being a Westerner, you know, having been in the Christian world, obviously there's some good things about Christianity, you know, Jesus said, love one another as, you know, you would love me, you know, there's, there's some good unifying, unconditional love pieces of the Christian world, but it just did, it just seemed to be missing, you know, some of the more, the the, the deeper uh, concepts and ideas that I was looking for. So, so I found, you know, Hinduism and, you know, Buddhism and these things, and I, and I started to find masters from the East that really had some deeper answers to, to the questions I had about, you know, unifying science and spirituality you know, uh, you know, figuring out, you know, why we're alive, you know, the mystery of consciousness itself. And uh, I think over the years, you know, I've found a, lo- a lot of answers and I just want to share those answers with the world, really. Uh, uh, in the last eight years, I, I've written a couple of columns or a couple of magazines. The most recent was Intrepid Magazine. Uh, and uh, my column is called Metaphysical View, where I just take a look at any metaphysical topic and expand upon it and, and explain it. Uh, to the world. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, finally, I do have a book coming out called The Heart Space Portal, and that'll be coming out in the next month, actually. I'm in final edit now. It'll be a short ebook. It's only 50 pages, uh, but uh, that'll be out shortly. And uh, my website is quantumlove.net if anybody is interested in, in taking a deeper look at what we discussed today. Can you go a bit about the, uh, the quantum aspect? You know, we just had a. Um you know, a couple of guests on who, you know, talked about the quantum uh, transcendence, et cetera. So why the quantum? Well, the quantum is very important to me. You know, I've heard these quantum physical people like, uh, you know, you, you saw the movie What the Bleep. You had Dr. Amit Goswami from University of Oregon talk about uh, the quantum superstring. I've heard David Wilcock, he's popular, uh, talking about, you know, the underlying fabric of the universe is consciousness itself. Uh, but really, to me, the quantum superstring is this thing that they encounter in the quantum physics world. And it's described 
as a field of light energy. Okay. So first of all, you know, you and I were talking earlier about the the material world and and how science is just focused on the material. Well, you know, when you look at the quantum superstring, you know, when I follow the material paradigm, it's we're composed of hard, animate building blocks of matter. And when you die, it slides out and there's nothing. Okay, that's what I was taught originally. And, you know, when I look at the quantum superstring, it's a vibrating field of light energy. So the first thing that hit me was the base core of reality is alive. It's not dead. It's not, it's not inert. It's actually life-giving and creative and supportive. So that was a really positive thing. To me, that was the most wonderful thing I've ever learned from science, that there actually is life and light and energy feeding and creating this reality. So I thought that was a very positive thing to learn from the quantum physics world. Great. Uh, Rebecca and I have talked about a little bit on the shows. Rebecca's had her uh, metaphysical experiences, and uh, likewise, have you ha- have you actually experienced it? You know, uh, some kind of transformational light experience. I, I, I've had when I was eight years old. I write about it in the book. I, I was in my living room. It was it was quiet. There was my mother was outside. There was nobody home in the house, and I looked into the bookcase. And a, a, a white star flew out of one of the books in the bookcase. It stopped in front of my face about six inches and then flew into my left ear. When it entered my brain and my head, I immediately felt this beautiful feeling. I was I was just completely, uh, you know, connected to everything. Uh, so I actually had an experience where a, a white star of light appeared and entered me and, and, and literally affected my whole being. That's one. I've had other metaphysical experiences. The other one I would explain would be I met a Swami in 2003. I write about him in the book. His name is Swami Sri Yogi Guruji Satyam. He came from Alabad, India, up here to UMass in Dartmouth. And he was here for, you know, 21 days, and he just lectured us on the nature of reality. Um, but after doing sadhana with him for two hours a night, uh, six hours on the weekend, you know, after like 21, 22 days of this, I started to meditate and I actually had a deep experience where just for a, a couple of seconds, I, I was able to reach that higher state of consciousness that the masters talk about where you're outside of your body and you feel like there's no space and time. Like, you know, like I, I, I can describe it this way. The beginning of time is the end of time and there is no time is what I felt. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Those are great, great um, experiences. And what we talk about, and you know, I, I have, you know, I like to ask this question. And Rebecca and I toss it around a lot. Why us? Why do you think? Because a lot of the people, well, you know, I've heard differently. I've heard that almost sixty percent of the population gets metaphysical experiences, as we've encountered. But a lot of people just, they don't want to. First of all, they don't want to talk about it, and I think they try to, you know shove it down. They try to, you know, make believe it didn't happen. There's a lot of fear involved in it. So why do you think, you know, we're the ones that, it, number one, it happens to, and why we decide to, you know, enlarge in, in, in on that? Yeah, well, I think uh, there's a couple things going on. The first one is, you know, there are the two basic core energies. There's love and there's fear. You know what I mean? We're in, I talk a lot about on the website about non-duality. You know, duality means 
everything is black and white, everything is separate, you know what I mean? And in the world of uh, non-duality, everything is connected. So first thing we have to do is step out of the paradigm of separation. And Greg Braden talks about this in his books. Uh, he talks about the idea that science originally taught us that, you know, nothing is connected and everything is random and all these crazy ideas which have been disproved by people like Bruce Lipton with biology belief and other people saying that, no, in fact, everything's connected, everything's one. So, you know, we come into the world. Uh, I think that our purpose as a being is to evolve consciousness itself. What I've learned is that we are all connected to one big consciousness. That consciousness is coming into this realm to experience this reality. So, you know, in the, the ancient Judaic Kabbalistic information or in the ancient Indian information, they, they talk about creator coming in and breaking itself up into all these pieces, which is you and I, to kind of experience itself, you know what I mean, and, and reality. And, and I think in this world, in this realm, in this earth, you know, we're here to kind of learn and grow uh, and experience all these things. So if you believe in past lives, you may have lifetimes where you're just completely kind of shut off from the metaphysical and you're just here to experience day-to-day life. Uh, and then there are other lives where you start to wake up and, and, and expand to the idea that there are higher realms. And I think if you look, look, at, terms, look at things in terms of evolution of consciousness, eventually you will start to wake up to the idea of the higher dimensions, the higher worlds, and we're, we're all supposed to get there. I think our mission as a race is we're all supposed to wake up and, and get back to the, the realization that there are higher worlds. Another good example of that is a guy named Trunkalo Melchizedek. He wrote a book called The Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life, and in his book he said, he said 12,000 years ago we fell. He said humans used to walk this earth with full knowledge of the higher worlds, we could see right into the higher worlds. We were here on the earth, but we were also connected to those higher worlds, and we knew the true nature of reality, which is that there's a dualism. There are higher hidden dimensions, and you have a soul, which is non-physical, which is up there, and you're here at the same time. Right, right, and uh, you know that—that's the big, uh, you know, Alan Watts. I, you know, I saw on your blog on your uh, website the, you know, uh, you have a, an Alan Watts video who I just again was my teacher, the one that woke me up. I had, you know, was pretty well entrenched in Western philosophy, but uh, you know, he talks about life as being a game of hide and seek, and I was recently uh, on the, uh, not only on the air, but had some private sessions with Hazel. More from England, who's a great heart space, um, you know, believer in, you know, reaching the fifth dimension. She said, and the way she explained it is that the Godhead needs us to know itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, when you talk about the heart, it's, it's you know, the new information that comes out. There's, a, there's an institute called the Heart Math Institute. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're making all these connections and figuring out that, you know, Greg Braden says the heart has a neural cluster, uh, you know, a nervous, you know, assembly of neurons and nerves, and that there's an intelligence there. And they're now showing at the HeartMath Institute that you can feel and sense things in the heart before you sense them in the brain. There's another consciousness there. So one thing I, I learned from Melchizedek uh, was that we need to shift our consciousness to the heart. Stop thinking and start feeling, you know what I mean? And, and and that's kind of an intuitive thing. And that's where you get into the divine feminine. You know, the, this, this theme that the divine feminine is returning is true. 
the divine feminine returning just means that within you and I, male, female, the feminine is just the intuitive, the creative, you know what I mean? And that part of us that just kind of knows things and is interconnected. And the return of the divine feminine opens us up to interconnection, oneness, and love, you know, and we've just been too far into the the, the hyper-rational, left-brain, male-oriented civilization, which is just completely disconnected. You know, we're, we're competitive and separate, and, uh, you know, we need more unity, oneness, and love. And that's where the heart-based consciousness is. Something. And uh, I, we recently, uh, Rebecca, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about how we've, uh, uh, you know, we heard the term recently, the fifth dimension in the heart, you know, and how that kind of makes sense. Right, right. And I think you and I, we share every day experiences we have where we're seeing more and more. We are living more in the fifth dimension and leaving the three-dimensional world behind, even though we're still here. <laughs> we see yeah. evidence all the time that there are laws, metaphysical laws, spiritual laws governing us that transcend um, the physical. And I love that story you told about the star entering your, your consciousness, your your brain when you were young. I had the same thing happen to me um, in a hotel in near Chicago one night. It woke me up and this white light that looked like a star, I could have the sense that it went right into my brain. Interesting. Um, but it's it's exciting because I think a lot of people are having these kinds of experiences now. And we, we're living in this time of this wonderful shift that is taking place, and you're right on. I, I think a lot, too, about how we're moving from that male-oriented um, patriarchal societies into more balance, where men and women will be more equal, and the divine feminine, the goddess energy will come forth to heal and to raise the vibration. And a lot of men are tapping into it, too, which is exciting. Absolutely. Hey, Mark, when you... Uh... You talked about the fall 12,000 years ago. What do you think happened? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how it happened. I, I just feel like it, it probably did because when you look at the ancient civilizations, they seem to be pretty advanced. I mean, when you, when you read, um, you know, Michael Cremo wrote the book Human Devolution. You know, he's one of my favorites because, you know, he's saying, look, this ancient Indian information is so complex and sophisticated Okay, their civilization was not, you know, was very advanced, you know what I mean, especially spiritually, philosophically, uh, you know, and, and they knew a lot of things. And, and I don't know what happened as far as the fall goes, but I do know that, you know, I feel that there's been civilization on the earth a lot longer than we believe, that there have been greater civilizations that have probably risen and fallen, and history is cyclical, it's not linear, and, you know, there's a lot there uh, to be said about you know, ancients having information about science. I mean, the Indians even have in the Ayurvedic information about healing is, is very advanced. You know, I mean, Western medicine is finally adopting, you know, what we call integrative thinking where, you know, yeah, maybe we can put you on an herb instead of just a drug and look at your whole being and your spirit and your soul and all this. Thing. So, so things are coming around in that world. Uh, but, um, but one other thing I wanted to say about 5D, my interpretation of 5D is that 5D is just the idea that when you're not in your body and you're not here, you know, you know the consciousness that comes into us is non-physical. So it's not part of space and time. It's from 
higher realms. And up there, everything happens at once. Everything is known. You have omniscience, omnipresence. You're everywhere at once. You're everything at once. You understand everything at once. And, and five just means we're starting to tap back into that awareness that that we are something else. Like top line of my head uh, of my website is uh, all the famous quotes: "Tat Vamasi," which means "Thou art that," in Lakecha Lakin, which means "I am another you." I am that which you also are. We're just remembering that we're that and this. And that brings you to my final point, which is, great. You've seen all these people go into the spiritual New Age world and kind of check out, use their beliefs as a false opiate to escape day-to-day life, you know? And I think it's the opposite. I think we have to bring heaven to earth. We have to live and function with our rational minds and, you know, and, and be caring and loving and kind and hear and be present but also just be aware. So so to me, the metaphysical is to inspire us to have a better world and for us to bring that higher awareness into the world. And make it better. Right, exactly. that's, that's totally aligned with something I teach in that we came here to help the planet as well as to wake up and, and work on our souls and, you know, polish our souls and whatever you want to call it. But we actually came here, too, with a mission to help the planet. Yeah. Mm. You know, explain that, will you? I mean, it's one of the questions I asked Hazel Moore a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we, we're talking about duality. We're talking about, you know, um, you know, black and white and you and I and blah, blah, blah. And so the question is, and we, you know, we've all had experiences where we have experienced the oneness, but there's still, you know, in the, the, the explanation I heard from Hazel is we're still different vibrations within one huge vibration. And that's where the individuality comes out and which individual purpose. Can you help us with that, Mark? Well, yeah. I mean, you're talking about that, that's my next book. I, I was just laughing with someone the other day. So I already have a topic for my next book. It's the paradox. It's the paradox of oneness versus individuality. Uh, in, in, in the Hindu world, we call it the paradox of Brahma, where, you know, creator breaks itself up into little pieces and yet we are the little pieces and we're also that at the same time and and i and i think i put it this way i don't think the human mind is capable of understanding that that's that's where i've come to because when i had that experience where i where i connected to the higher worlds there really aren't words that i can give you to explain what it felt like to be in that state of timelessness and also that feeling of complete love, like the, the people that have near-death experiences talk about that feeling of deep love, that they just feel everything is just wonderful. So so part of it is I don't think we can really – it's a mind-bender. We can't really totally get. But all I can say is that it's useful to know that. Our civilization needs to know that we are all very interconnected and that we are all one. So – the book, of course, in Miracles says, you know, if you strike down your brother, you strike me down. You strike, you know, it's like, you know, we need to realize that there's an illusion that, you know, that we're separate. We really are connected. And we're just supposed to use that realization to kind of treat each other better and have a better world. Um, but, you know, the paradox of Brahma, you know, is just, I think, the creator, you know, we are the creator, but we are individual. And I think when we leave the world, I think we do retain that individuality. I do believe that, you know, 
you know, we don't, I mean, there is, there is, uh, there's one of the guys that I read, uh, Nizargat Maharaj, he wrote the book, I Am That. And he has said sometimes in some of his writing that, you know, he, he thinks that we may, when we die, drift back into an undifferentiated consciousness where we even forget that we existed. But I don't, I don't know if I believe that. I think that we do retain that individuality because it makes sense to me. But anyway, I hope that's an explanation. Well, that's that's the big puzzle, isn't it? And we'll never know that. But uh, you know, yesterday uh, Rebecca and I we were talking, and I and Alan Watts loves to talk about it too, and and a lot of great uh, metaphysical teachers right now, especially with the shift in consciousness. That this really, um, and my proponent is that life is a game and a story. It's full of games and it's full of stories. And that the big game, if, you know, to me, they have to mirror something of a universal uh, form, archetype for what a game and a story is, is that the Godhead has really come here to, to lose itself, to play a game of hide-and-seek. Alan Watts talks about that a lot. And that it really is a big game of coming here and playing a, 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 an unlimited, infinite being, playing a limited game to lose itself. Because living in, as an infinite being where you can manifest anything at any time kind of gets a little boring. And hence, you know, and the, and, and the Hindus obviously touched on that. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, to me, I think what I believe now is that you know, I believe that you and I aren't us, that uh, we're something, the consciousness that comes into us and through us is in these higher realms, it's connected to everything, it's everywhere at once, and and we're something so great we can't even comprehend it. Uh, but, you know, so I feel like, I heard Deepak Chopra say one time, he says, you know, I can't die because I don't exist. What he's saying metaphorically is that, you know, you know, this human body-mind complex is just a, it's like a tentacle, it's like an appendage, it's just something that the soul creates to come in here and experience this. So when you die, the personality self does dissipate quite a bit. The, the, the You know, I'm an individual, but I don't think I'm Mark. I think I'm something greater than Mark, I guess, is, is what I'm saying and what I've learned uh, from that world. It's great. Now, okay, let's take this for the, especially for the initiate, you know, the the people that if we do get somebody who's meant to be here and listen to this, so the novitiates, what, what, um, you know, what, how do you take all of this and put it into practical life? You know, your day to day. I would say the bodhisattva effect. The bodhisattva effect says that you can only change the universe by changing your reaction to it. You can only change the world by changing you. Um, all answers are within. Uh, the Hindu world has revealed to me that the path to God realization is self-realization. It's to go deep within, meditate, and get to the point where you can completely connect to the higher worlds and completely stop thinking. Like, you know, a master will give you a mantra. They give you a mantra to repeat. Part of the reason for that is just to, to shut your mind down from thinking. Stop thinking and to be clear and present with that all-unifying one consciousness. So so I, I guess I would say go deep within, meditate, and meditate and meditate and pray and meditate to the point where you can really finally connect to the all-unifying one consciousness. 
once you've done that, you'll know inside of yourself what you should do here on earth. Right. Right. And and by knowing yourself, you become awakened and you um, bring more light and harmony and peace into the lives and, you know, relationships that you have. And, and that's, you know, that's the good, good part of it too. It's not really just a selfish thing, but you do have to save yourself and realize yourself before you can help the world. Yeah. But we're really not here to save the world. We're here to work on ourselves. And if we all do that, we'll have a beautiful world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And so, um, one of the, can you talk about letting go Mark? Yeah, absolutely. Well, letting go is similar. There's there's the word detachment and there's the, the word non-attachment. You know, detachment, some people don't like the word detachment because it means you're kind of obviating responsibility and just, you know, using detachment as an excuse not to deal with life. But non-attachment means you deal with the equanimity of life, which is, like a Buddhist monk would say, you know, don't be too moved by horrible circumstance, but also don't be too moved by joyful circumstance. Kind of stay in the middle. Try not to be so reactive, you know. Try to float down the stream with the stream instead of standing up in the stream, you know. And, you know, it's kind of like to, to flow gently through life and, and to be aware and to be present. Um, and, and, and again, you know, being loving is, is a huge part of that. Um, that gets me to the idea of service to self versus service to others. So in the paradox book, I'll, I'll put in that paradox, which is the, you were given an ego because you do need to survive and you do need to serve yourself to a certain extent to survive. We've just gone too far down the path of the ego. All of the uh, religious systems tell you that you need to overcome the ego. Even look at 12-step recovery systems. You have to recover from the ego to be able to get spiritual and real and present. Uh, so there's a lot to be said about that. Service to others is where the great joy is. I heard Edgar Cayce say one time, and I, I, I didn't hear him, but I read one of his quotes, and it was, you know, you only take with you what you've given out to others when you leave this world. And, you know, the true joy is that abundance, and the abundance of love and interconnection you have with others. So serving others is is helping the world, making the world better, making you feel better, and there's great, I think, even everlasting joy from that. Um, But again, it's a paradox because if you completely serve everyone, you know, in today's world with the material world, you know, you could go broke and end up, you know, know, living out of a dumpster. But on the other hand, you know, if you're too selfish and serve self, you can become one of these ultra-rich people that is so soulless they don't have any joy or any friends in their life, so you know. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a balance, really. Well, yeah, let me ask you a question, Mark. Because of the imbalances that we're seeing now, the extreme, you know, um, wealth, as if, you know, the haves and that and that sort of thing, and the entitlement of young people sometimes because of the way they're raised. Where do you see it headed? What do you think? What, what do you see? Do you think the the spiritual is going to take over ultimately? I think it will because we, I think as a whole, when you read about, again, I like Greg Braden, he talks about the 100th monkey theory. And then right. you read uh, Sri Bhagavan, who founded the World Oneness Institute, and he's doing what we call Diksha. Diksha is the sharing of a spiritual blessing from person to person to person around the world. 
And, you know, his, his writing and work says that, you know, we are evolving. You only need one, one out of 100,000 people per 100,000 people to kind of come up and to vibrate into higher awareness. And then at, cer- at a certain point, there's a shift in, in the collective consciousness. So I feel that enough people are now are waking up and wanting to have a better world and wanting to be loving and kind and connected. And I think we're just going to have more and more of that. And I think we will make a shift. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, and the thing is, it's not about being self-sacrificing. You know, you don't have to suffer in giving to others. You don't have to neglect yourself. In fact, it's the opposite. It's once once you realize, once you've given enough to yourself and understand that what you have is limitless, there's no fear uh, of doing it. And it's all about joy. You're not doing this. You're not, you don't have to suffer to give to the other you know, you can't. It, that 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 takes away from all of it, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I like to. You know, I've done work with mantras and I've studied the Hindu pantheon of gods and goddesses. And you know, some people on the path will will, will pray to like, let's say, Lakshmi. You know, and Lakshmi is the goddess of abundance and prosperity. And when you, when you look at her picture, she has gold coins coming from her hand. And people think, you know, you pray to Lakshmi, you're gonna, you know, win the lottery. And you know. What happens with her is that she gives you an abundance of relationship. I did mantras to her for years. I had a a pendant of her around my neck. And what I learned after a few years is that she gave me an abundance of relationship. I have great friends. I have great, what I call bhaktis, other people on the path, you know, spiritual path. You know, so you're a bhakti to me. Rebecca, you're a bhakti to me, you know. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're fellow seekers. and, and, And that's the wealth that she's given me. And that's true wealth, because that wealth transcends the idea of money and even time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, let's, again, going to a practical, you know, application of all of this, because, well, first of all, when we start, before we started the show, I mentioned I had come across a, uh, <laughs> a an audio book in which actually was about writing, and the, uh, the, the, the writer is a, what we, decided to call a hyper-rationalist, and, yeah. you know, they, they seem to, it's, you know, it's one thing, I have my beliefs, but a hyper-rationalist, a lot of times, just loves to pounce on uh, metaphysics and, 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 and such things, you know, there, there's no such thing as ESP, there is no such thing as destiny, um, so how, how do you deal with that? I mean, how do we tell people, I, I, you know, I, I've come up with the answers, but go ahead. I'd take them right back to 1925 when you had the big summit of Erwin Schrodinger and, uh, you know, Max Planck and um, all the great Niels Bohr. You know, Niels Bohr said, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't, if quantum physics hasn't shocked you, then you haven't understood it. He said, we're, we're, we're comprised of things that aren't real. He said, what you think is real is comprised of things that aren't real. All the quantum physical stuff says they they drill down to the core fabric, the deepest level they can see with a microscope or detect with instruments. And first of all, waves and particles come from another source, and things decide to be waves or particles. And your your consciousness is affecting the actual core fabric of reality. Uh, they call it the observer effect, where the observer influences the outcome of a, of an experiment in, in this in this quantum world. And, you know, so we're affecting it. And I would just say that science is proving the weirdness of quantum physics and that 
there there really is something metaphysical and non-physical. Um, I guess the other definition of quantum physics I read was it's the idea that there are multiple levels of vibration or multiple dimensions, and that hidden dimensions are they've mathematically proven that hidden dimensions are creating and forming this one. Well, what does that mean? To me, it means what the saints have been saying and the sages have been saying for centuries, that there is a heaven, there are higher worlds, there are higher realms. And this is just a reflection of that. That's the true world. And, you know, it's, you know, we just have to realize that there is something more than this. Uh, but, but and, again, and the hyper getting back to consciousness, yeah, don't you yeah. feel that yeah, consciousness is really um, what's behind everything? Um, and that's the thing that, um, you know, kind of people are ignoring um, because we're really living in a universe of thought, not matter, when you get right down to it because Planck and those quantum physicists really told us matter isn't real. Yeah, so it's, it's what all, is it? It's thought. It's consciousness. Yeah, this it's, whole reality is, is one big thought. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. I would agree with that totally. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to, to summarize it, uh, that, you know, it, it really is one big thought. I mean, there's other things coming up about science now that say that, you know, the whole universe is connected. You know, you've got superposition and entanglement where you can take mm-hmm. electrons and separate them and wiggle them on each side of the world and they and they, they react right. instantaneously they react to each other. Right, they react at the same time. So what's, mm-hmm. so what's happening is they're going through another realm and connecting through that other realm. Mm-hmm. So, well, there are wormholes. Or you can take it. You can take a piece of DNA, cut it in half, and ship the other half around the world, wiggle one half, the other half wiggles, same thing. It's all mm-hmm. connected. It's going through a hidden realm or a higher realm. And so that's why one about, person, can, you can sit in your house and, and pray for someone uh, miles away, and they can get results from that thought that you have for them, that prayer, that energy, that vibration, whatever you want to call it. Because we're, we're all connected at the level right. of consciousness. So, but anyway, mm-hmm. getting back to hyper-rationalism, how depressing, you know, this atheist. <laughs> you know, you know uh, if I was an atheist, I wouldn't last 10 minutes. I'd probably just take myself out because it's like, you know, <laughs> you came from nothing, you go back to nothing, and all there is is nothing. And, you know, Alan Watts mm-hmm. was great. He said, he said you, weren't, you weren't born into the universe. You arose from it. it. Nature abhors a vacuum. Life will always be life. And, and life may be shifting and changing and morphing, but you know you're, you know you're alive, and, and whatever is alive in you will always be alive. Because when the when the body dies, when when the person dies, they've measured the weight of the body, and the weight of the body decreases when they die, and because there's some semi-physical, metaphysical part of us that you know is is attached to the body. We call it the light body, the astral body. But, you know, there's a there's an astral body which is non-physical, which is animating this body. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. take a genius to to understand that. But you know, I, I what I love about and Alan Watts talked about uh, uh, Rebecca and I grabbed a, a, um, a seminar that he did, and you know, just kind of went through it piece by piece. And uh, you know, he says that <laughs> that no matter what science or metaphysics, no matter how they experience, they all come to the same point. You know that uh, you know there is this vast emptiness which is true consciousness. You know, so the more you you try to say there's nothing, the more you're really saying there's something. And you know, out of nothing, something comes. But I have to laugh about um, 
science in the sense that, you know, what is science that all of a sudden science is the God, first of all? Second of all, because science from the one second to the next is always evolving and changing. So what was a truth yesterday is not even a truth today. And But the other thing that I found that, you know, I've stumbled upon myself is what can science possibly teach me about how to live day to day? I mean, it's done wonderful things in terms of giving us technology and, and you know, made health, um, overall public health better. But as far as getting up every single day, what can science teach me about love? What can t- science teach me about anger? What can science teach me about fear? You know, what can science teach me about forgiveness? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the person that has really touched me the most recently on that topic is Rupert Rupert Sheldrake, and he has a a video he he does talking about the foundations of modern science, and he and he goes through the twelve foundations of modern science, and one of them, for example, is the speed of light is constant, and in the lecture he proves the speed of light is not constant. So he goes through and and addresses all the pillars and building blocks of modern scientific theory. And he, each one of them, he's able to overturn and show that actually it's just an agreement of a bunch of people to say that this is reality. And that's the funny thing about beliefs, right? I think whenever you have any rigidity of beliefs, you're going to have a problem because consciousness is evolving and things are changing. I like Carl Johan Kalman, who wrote the book The Mayan Calendar and the Transformation of Human Consciousness. He said that life is a vibrating possibility up to the last millisecond, that the future cannot be predicted because everything is vibrating and, and, and morphing and changing and growing. Uh, so, you know, their whole theory, the hyper-rational theory, is that everything is static, dynamic. So, you know, it's it's everything's alive, you know. Mm-hmm. So going down, you know, um, right now Rebecca and I are in a <laughs> an interesting place. We found that, uh, you know, at one point uh, the the law of attraction worked extremely well for us. Uh, we could manifest things almost at hyper speed, uh, and all of a sudden now there's uh, there's a there's a transition. Let's right, Rebecca, would you call it a transition? I would call it a transit. Well, we're trying to, we're working on bigger projects now, really big projects. And uh, we're finding that the time thing isn't as instantaneous as it is for some of the other things that we work on that are, you know, more effortless. Yeah. So we're, yeah. We're, we get together and we talk about that, how to get rid of whatever that block is that keeps things from manifesting more effortlessly on, bigger, on the bigger scales. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it came from, um, and I too uh, ended up with the Course in Miracles. It's, and you know, this is what I, we've got about uh, about six minutes left. So let's take all of these beautiful things that we've been discussing and see, because people want to know answers. People are confused. They they want to live a better life. They want to feel better. They want to, you know, have the, their dreams, possess their dreams. Um, is there a way we can take what, what you know we've all learned and put it into a kind of a, a, a model for how to live your life every day and how to get what you you've come here to get? Well, I think I would go back to that self-realization, God-realization thing. And I, the first thing I would do is love whatever image of the Creator that you have. I don't care if it's Krishna, Jesus, you know, Mary, whoever it is. 
love creator intensively with all your heart. Once you do that, you can then start to love yourself. And then once you love yourself and you love the Godhead, then you will automatically love everyone else. It's like automatic. It's like autopilot. It's like at that point, you know, the, the goddess comes in and you're unified and connected. So see the unity. See similarities. Don't see differences. See the unity. You know, understand that science is proving consciousness affects the core fabric of reality. So therefore, Amit Goswami says, consciousness is primary, which is what Rebecca has been saying through the show. Consciousness, we are con- we are pure consciousness. We're not just this body. Uh, so if all of our consciousness is connected and we're all connected, then we have to start living and realizing that we are and working together. So love God, love self, love others. And that's the key to that joy you talk about, you know, the, the joie de vie, the joy of living. You know, now it's joyful just to be with someone and share time with them, you know, friend, family, uh, you know, someone on the street, you know, and, and and just be present too. Don't don't worry about the past or, you know, worry about the future or dwell on the past. Just be present and be connected to everyone and everything. Um, and then also I would tell people to meditate deeply to the point where they can kind of blank out and transcend the ego body mind complex and connect to that higher awareness because that that really is incredible once you've done that you just know in your soul you are your soul it's like c.s lewis said you know yeah you don't have a soul you are a soul that's right yeah, and that's- you know and, and i i think uh a lot of people come to me and say you know well how do i and, and there's a lot of easy way i mean i took meditation with with Rebecca, that's how we met, and there's all kinds of fantastic techniques. And you know, I, I would just say to some people, if you don't, and it's really helped. I mean, there's tons of great guided meditations, and um, you know, meditations that involve you know the rhythms and, and et cetera that you used that you used with me, Rebecca, that help people get there mm-hmm. a lot faster, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Shifting your consciousness to a different level so that you can um, do amazing things. Um, a new way of thinking. We're yeah, on the get, cutting and edge I'm, of um, right, and so so there mm-hmm. are fast ways, and and I have found and recently read a book about writing down your soul, and even writing, journaling, losing yourself, and just free writing, anything, mindfulness, all of those things. So this has a, doesn't have to be this big mystery or a big painful journey to the core. It can come. I mean, it came to you out of a bookshelf, Mark. Yeah, and I would also tell people in the Western world, you know, this people I see a lot of people like just finding one belief system or one path and saying this is it, this is it. I <laughs> I, I've studied 558 different belief systems and paths, and now I can tell you they're all it, and you have to look at it all. You have to have that perspective of being able to let go of a belief, embrace a belief, but also kind of let go of a belief, and then you know compare the beliefs and then find the unity in them. Um, because, you know, when things get too rigid, um, you know, you tend to lose the point in the minutia. And, and you know, and I think that brings to a beautiful point. What about the fun part? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, you know, just just the joy of simple living, you know. Uh, you know, just the joy of, you know, tending your own garden, you know, catching your own fish, you know, loving your neighbor, you know, these real simple things are, are really what it's about. And that's where I get to with spirituality i'm like i want to make sure that you know religion has taught us 
somewhat to reject the mind and, and the world cave and meditate. And then, you know, science has told us to reject the spirit and the soul. And the answer is we got to go in the middle. We have to, we have to, you know, use our mind to function and, and to move the world ahead, but realize mm-hmm. that we have a soul and that we're all connected and we're all one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Listen, before they cut us off, because we're down to that last minute, I can't say how fantastic it's been. You know, one of the frustrations Rebecca and I have is meeting like minds, and uh, this format is on that. Will you come back again, Mark, and do it again? Love to. Love to. Anytime you want. Yeah, I think we've well, just started. Uh, kind of... Your book's coming out, too. Give us the name of your book again, and when is it coming out? The Heart Space Portal. Mm, great. And it's just, and just that the heart. The heart is a portal to higher awareness. It's really that simple. That's nice. great. Well, thank you so much, and I, I definitely want to uh, do more of these and and explore, uh, you know, issues as they come up. Absolutely. Thank Help you. Me.